Welcome to a new episode of The Traveller's Podcast with your host, Brother Nur Al-Ayash. Brethren, welcome to a new episode. I do apologize for the delay in this episode. Had some technical issues, which are now fixed, and we are good to go again. My guest today is a special one. Joining me all the way from the US, Brother Matt Parker. And we will be discussing the Lodge as a sacred place. Brother Parker is the Senior Warden of Wendell Lodge, number 565 in Wendell, North Carolina, the Chair of the Grand Lodge Committee on Public Relations, the founder of the North Carolina Masonic Research Society, and a member of the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite Southern Jurisdiction, and as well as the York Rite. Brother Parker, welcome to the Travelers Podcast. A pleasure to have you, my brother. Brother Neuer, thank you for having me. Uh, this is a great honor to speak with you and, and the brethren. Brother Parker, I will start off by asking my first question. What makes the Lodge a sacred place, in your opinion? The Lodge is a sacred space because it is separate from the material world. It's a place of reflection and contemplation. If we look at our degrees, the one thing that that strikes me is how we are prepared for our degrees. Uh, We are divested of minerals and metals, anything uh, of a metallic kind, such as uh, jewelry, watches, rings, anything of that nature is removed and left outside of the lodge room. And those things represent attachments to the material world. When we step into the lodge, that is a sacred space. And so to your question, what makes the lodge a sacred space? It is that isolation from the outside world. It is being able to leave all of your concerns, uh, your worries, uh, the material concerns, especially whether it be uh, your, your employment, uh, finances, home, all of those things that we worry about throughout the day. They have no place in the lodge. They remain outside. The lodge is a sacred space. When we go through our opening ritual and closing ritual, symbolically, we are opening or creating a sacred space. And likewise, at the end of the meeting, when we go through a closing ritual, we are closing that sacred space so that we may mix again with the outside world. But how is this sacred space formed? Well, we talked a little bit about the material world, the isolation from uh, the outside or profane world. It is a sacred space in, in the fact that the brothers coming together are of like mind. They're of one accord. Ritual is key to creating that sacred space. It's, it's not enough to perform ritual haphazardly. It must be done with care. It must be done with uh, uh, passion for the ritual. It creates or sets a tone for the meeting. It's key for creating that sacred space because that is what signifies to the craft that their labors as masons are beginning. It's what signifies to the craft 
that whatever their concerns were before entering that lodge room, they are no longer relevant in that moment. They are there in that space together. So to ask how a sacred space is formed, there are a few elements. It must be dignified. It must be uh, solemn. The brothers must pay attention and, and find an importance in there. There can't be a lot of side chatter. There can't be brothers uh, playing on their mobile devices, checking texts or Facebook. It really requires focus and dedication. But more than anything else, what creates a sacred space is the love between the brothers in the room. It's uh, often referred to as egregore, a very uh, powerful energy that's generated from that mutual love and respect. I think we've all been in lodges where we just felt this incredible energy from the lodge. We felt rejuvenated after the lodge meeting because there was so much love. We've also been in lodges where the love was missing. The energy felt off. It didn't feel welcoming. It didn't feel warm. And I would argue that they failed to create that sacred space because that love between the brothers, that bond was missing. Now for the most famous question, Brother Parker. How does the Lodge compare to the Temple of Solomon? The Lodge is symbolic of the Temple of Solomon, which again is, is reflective of ourselves, our internal selves. As King Solomon, uh, we have to remember that the Temple of Solomon was not a place for him to rule. That was not where his throne was. It was a building built for a specific purpose, to house the Ark of the Covenant. And the construction of the temple, consisting of a flight of winding stairs, an inner and outer porch, these are all representative of parts of ourselves as well. We as Masons can uh, ascribe those analogies. We're, we're kind of learning our way. We're trying to find where we belong. Uh, we're just starting our journey. We're making some strides in the right direction. We are pursuing our path of development, of growth as men and Masons. We are taking those steps necessary to leave behind who we were and achieve who it is that we desire to be. That is what we aspire to be. We're viewing through that veil, trying to take a peek at the uh, sacred space inside. So if we step back out and look at the lodge in that concept, that lodge is a place where we come in and the ego or false self is left outside the door. The masks that we wear in our everyday lives, we leave those all outside the door. In the lodge, we are our true selves. That's so important for the development of, of Masons and their journey. If you are living with the ego and the false self, if you believe the masks that you wear throughout the day are the true self, you cannot hope to uh, peer into the Holy of Holies. You can't hope to see what is behind the veil, the true self. And so that sacred space is symbolic of that journey inward. 
moving beyond that outer and inner porch. And again, the inner chamber is the ultimate destination. That's where we hope to arrive. And that is a lifetime's journey. That's a lot of work. We get glimpses through the veil, but we never really see the big picture. But we're able to start piecing those pieces together and getting an image of who we truly are, the true self. So that is, to me, how the Lodge compares to the Temple of Solomon. If the Lodge is a sacred space, like the inner chamber of the Temple, what would you say are the key elements of this sacred space? I think first and foremost, the key elements of the sacred space are the brothers gathered in the Lodge. And I alluded to it earlier. They have to be of one accord. They have to have an uh, open heart. There can't be any grievance or grudge. There can't be any hate. There is no place for hate in masonry. If you hate a man based on his uh, race, religion, nationality, uh, politics, whatever the case may be, if you hold any kind of hate or resentment towards that man based on these things, you are not a mason. There is, simply is not room in masonry for these things. Masonry teaches love. And a true sacred space, and we, we've been in lodges like this, a true sacred space, you feel that love. You feel that energy in the air. You don't have to say a word. Just by sitting in the room, you feel that energy. So what makes that sacred space? That is the decorum that I mentioned earlier, the solemnity, is brothers coming together, like-minded, with the goal of improving themselves, but at the same time supporting each other in the individual paths that we each take. So masonry, if, if you think about it, it's a very strange concept. It, it's almost a selfish thing. Uh, we want to change ourselves. We want to better ourselves. So it's selfish in that nature. Each of us are on our own path. Masonry is not one path. It's unique to the individual. But we are there to support each other on the path that we are each individually on. That happens in a sacred space. That's a place where you realize that your path is where you need to be. You may not be where the brother sitting next to you is on his path, and that's fine. That's his path. Don't judge him by his path and he shouldn't judge you by yours but you have that mutual respect that mutual love there's an incredible bond that is formed within the sacred space brother parker what are some uh, contemplative practices that you feel enhance the lodge experience personally i like to start each lodge meeting with a quiet time of contemplation some may refer to it as meditation, and it could be meditation with uh, uh, some music, or maybe a guided meditation with, with one brother leading the meditation. But ultimately, it is a time for centering oneself. So you've entered the lodge, you've, you've come from the outside world, you've been dealing with uh, you know, those, those employments and concerns all day. Now you're in this sacred space. And in order to absorb and take in the sacred space, to be a part of that sacred space, 
you have to divest yourself of those concerns. And one way to do that is through contemplation or a period of meditation. Just sitting still for five minutes, purging yourself of these unnecessary thoughts and concerns. And some of these things are very important. They're things that we need to worry about in the outside world. But it's about not carrying that into the lodge with us because that really can disrupt the energy of the lodge. It can be a detriment to you because you focus on these concerns and you lose focus of the importance, the sanctity of the lodge. So for me, the first thing that creates a sacred space or a, a contemplative practice in lodge is just a period of contemplation or meditation, a period of being able to reflect before you jump right into the lodge meeting. I think the second thing uh, or con uh, contemplative practice that we can utilize in lodges is music. Music has an incredible effect on humans. It can make you happy. It can make you sad. It can make you feel nostalgic for another time. It can transport you to another place. A song may remind you of a happy memory in your life. Music, the sound, the vibrations, those are so critical to the function of the mind. We really resonate, not, not to... Uh, make a pun there, but we really resonate with the music. It touches us on a deeper level than what the spoken word or written word can do. It teaches, it touches us on a very personal and emotional level. So in a lodge setting, by utilizing music, maybe during the time of contemplation or uh, during a time of prayer, light music, or just before the opening of the lodge, just throughout the lodge meeting, that can significantly alter the feel of the lodge. It can change the landscape of the meeting. It really helps the brothers to focus. So I think that music is a, an important aspect, and I think that's something that we've lost in, in so many lodges, but uh, I have been in some lodges where they have utilized music very successfully and they have achieved just that effect. So it's, it's pretty incredible. Another part of a contemplative space, I think, is lighting. If you're sitting in a lodge room with bright fluorescent bulbs, uh, that actually affects your mood. It's, it's not very conducive to a uh, sacred space or a contemplative atmosphere. I would suggest playing with the lighting in the room. Uh, Tone down the lighting if possible. It's funny when the lights are uh, lower, people tend to speak quieter. People tend to focus more. I can't explain the mechanics behind that. I don't know why the mind does that, but it does happen. And so the lighting, again, can change the mood of the lodge in a very positive way. If you're looking for the decorum, if you're looking for the solemnity that should be in lodges, start with the lighting, start with the music. And next, I think the most key element of a contemplative lodge is to have a quality presentation. Have a speaker, whether it be a guest speaker, whether it be someone in the lodge, deliver a presentation that creates thought, that elicits 
emotion in the brothers. I personally like to sit in a lodge and hear a very well-written, deeply thought-out presentation. Something that stays with me after I leave the lodge. Something that I go home and meditate on. Something that causes me to think. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that I agree with, but it gives me a moment to pause and think about other perspectives and other ideas. And we as Masons, that's one thing we espouse is uh, thought, being able to think for oneself, being able to do things of your own free will and accord. And that free will and accord comes from being able to use logical and rational thought. And these presentations expand our knowledge. They expand what we perceive around the world or the world around us. It can change our perceptions. It's so critical that the, for lack of a better term, we call it Masonic education, but it's so critical that the information being imparted in the lodge is in some way almost transformative. It's unfortunately a lost art in masonry. Um, most lodges that I visit have little or no form of education or enlightenment. Or if they do, it may be some historical presentation on something that happened in the history of masonry or with the premier Grand Lodge of England in 1717. It may be the famous Freemason talk that we've all heard a million times. This actor was a Mason. This singer is a Mason. This politician is a Mason. We've all heard that. But at the end of the day, when I walk out of the lodge, do I feel any different for having experienced that, for knowing that? It doesn't make any difference to me. It doesn't change who I am. So I'm looking for something deeper in a lodge, and I think that is critical, and probably the most critical thing to a contemplative atmosphere and a contemplative lodge in the sacred space. For someone just beginning or unfamiliar with contemplative practices, can you speak about some practices you like to see in the lodge and how it relates to the sacred space? So contemplative practices, that's a, that's a very large umbrella that can cover uh, quite a few things. Um, you know, I spoke about meditation or contemplation, but contemplative means to think, just to think, engage in thought. And that is so critical to masonry. We need to continue to learn. We need to continue to grow. We need to continue to have an open mind about the things around us, other ideas, other concepts. And at the end of the day, what we discover is that we are really not that different. Regardless of our relationships, regardless of our age, race, nationality, uh, location, culture, any of that, regardless of all of that, at the end of the day, when we listen, we realize that we as humans are the same. There's a commonality that unites all of us. So that to me is contemplative. It is the art of thinking. And so someone who is unfamiliar with contemplative practices, you want to know where to start. Start by reading. And challenge yourself. Read something that you would not normally read. Read something that contradicts with your current beliefs. Doesn't mean that you have to adopt those beliefs. Doesn't mean that you have to agree. But just read it so that you understand 
the other point of view. That's the first step, I think, in any kind of contemplative practice. Second is just engaging in quiet thought, contemplation, meditation. Think about the conversation you've just had with a brother. Think about what you've just read. Think about what you've just experienced or heard in the lodge. Think about these things. Just engage. If you do nothing more than just take 10 minutes a day to sit in a quiet, isolated room, someplace away from everyone else, away from all the distractions, away from your phones, away from the television, away from computers, just think. And there are some things that can aid in this, and uh, I have found very uh, helpful. Some people like to have music. Some light music, nothing too distracting. You can use incense. Smells are a great way of transporting yourself into a uh, more relaxed, uh, contemplative mindset. So some brothers uh, really enjoy using incense. Personally, I use cigars. I, I do my best meditation when I'm enjoying a nice cigar, the aroma of the cigar. The taste of the, the smoke, that, that's what does it for me. That's just a personal choice. But try something that uh, takes you away from the outside world. I think the reason why the smell or the olfactory sense works so well there is because a smell, just like music, can take you mentally to another place in time or it can separate you from the outside world so if you're sitting in a room in your your home you're used to the sounds of your home you're used to the smells it's that's your world that you are in at all times th throughout your life you're familiar with that a little light music that drowns out the other sounds within your house that may be of a distraction and again, I, I don't understand the mechanics of it. I'm not an expert there. I just know it works. It really works. And so those are the basics. Those are the basics of uh, contemplative practices and, and things that I really encourage in brothers because they will allow you to uh, come up with concepts and thoughts that you would have never otherwise thought of. One thing that I like to do is take the working tools of masonry and, you know, either looking at a picture of a working tool on my computer screen, or if I happen to have the tool, like a gavel uh, here with me, I can hold that in my hands and, and really focus on that working tool and think, what is that working tool really saying? What is the symbolism behind there? What does it mean to me other than just a tool for creating the perfect stone or for building a temple what are the deeper meanings it was through uh, some meditation i was meditating on the gavel specifically and in my meditation i realized that the the gavel uh, we refer to that as an instrument of creating beauty but that same gavel that creates the perfect stone can also be used as an instrument of destruction and destroy that perfect stone. And we never talk about that in masonry. But those are the kinds of things that come to you through meditative practices or through contemplative practices. You really start to see other aspects or certain facets 
that you would not have seen otherwise. And it really can change your view. And here's the interesting thing about these contemplative practices. It's not from an outside source that these ideas or these concepts come to you. They're the answers you already have within yourself. But by slowing down, quieting the mind, those answers come to you from inside. It's all, they're already there. They're already there. You don't need an outside source to tell you the answer. You just need to quiet the mind. You need to separate yourself from the material world for just a while so that you can hear those answers internally. There has been a renaissance in masonry over the last several years, and groups such as Refracted Light, the North Carolina Masonic Research Society, Magnus Geometris here in the District Grand Lodge of Lebanon, along with various podcasts, articles, books, and lectures, are on the forefront of this renaissance. Where do you see masonry heading in the future, Brother Parker? We like to talk about tradition in masonry. We like to talk about uh, how we should never change the ritual. We have to do things this way. Um, we've all heard the grumpy past masters say, well, we do it this way because that's the way it's always been done. And that's not really true. Uh, masonry has evolved. There have been many, many innovations in masonry and i know that is a horrible word uh, many masons have cringed by hearing that word innovation or change but it's true you look at the history of masonry it is replete with change fundamental change sometimes drastic change for instance in 1717 when the premier grand lodge of england was formed there was no third degree the third degree became standard around 1725. And even at that time, we did not have the legend, uh, the story of the building of the Temple of Solomon or of Hiram Abiff. That was even a later addition. So where do I see masonry going? I think masonry is going to adapt to a changing world through this pandemic that we've experienced worldwide, I think many of us have, have formed bonds and relationships with men on the other side of the planet that we would have never otherwise known or spoken to. We would have remained at that perpetual distance. But that's changed. The planet is suddenly much smaller than what it was. We have connections. We form bonds and friendships. I mean, nowhere uh, you and I, it's the same. We did not know each other a year ago. And now I communicate with you. I enjoy our conversations. And I hope that that's a lifelong friendship. I think it will be. I really think it is. And that's a testament of the power of masonry. We find a way. And the face of adversity, masonry is going to find a way. And it's going to become stronger because of it. I do see a time where, you know, we, were, we return to our lodges. Lodge meetings are uh, going to resume. But the online virtual connections, the remote connections that we have with each other, the virtual education, uh, that is here to stay. That's not going anywhere. 
I've had many, many comments from brothers, uh, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. Uh, Scotland, Canada, Australia, uh, Lebanon, everywhere. Brothers have commented to me that they have found through these virtual presentations online, through the blogs, through the podcasts, they have found what they were looking for in their home lodges. And, and my answer is always the same to them. It's like, well, try to take a bit of that back to your lodge. Try to introduce that into your lodge if that's the lodge experience you're looking for. But the fact is that these virtual means of Masonic communication, they have open eyes. They have created a conduit for many brothers to experience what they were hoping to experience in their lodge. It's also given them an opportunity to hear other perspectives that they may not hear in their lodge or even in their Grand Lodge jurisdiction. It's really expanded and changed the way masonry functions. I have, I can't tell you how many friendships I have formed through this. And many of these brothers I've now had the pleasure of meeting in person. I've had the pleasure of sitting down and having a meal with these brothers, meeting their families. It's so incredible. So the days of being isolated to your local lodge or your grand lodge, those days are gone. And I think it's a wonderful thing. I, I think now we have this cross-jurisdictional communication where these ideas and concepts can be shared. And brothers are taking these ideas back to their lodges. And they're thinking or meditating on these presentations, on these podcasts, on these topics that are discussed. And they're forming their own conclusions and writing papers and giving presentations in their lodges. And it has really been a source of, I think, inspiration for many lodges and brothers around the world. And I don't see that going away. I think that is absolutely here to stay. And as I mentioned earlier, masonry has been filled with changes over the centuries. Nothing has really been that consistent. And this is no different. I think this is the next step in the evolution of masonry. And it's incredible because now, uh, you know, as you and I have, have spoken about, um, you know, we, we form a bond and a friendship that would have otherwise not existed. And that is so key to masonry. I mean, really, isn't that what masonry is about? It's about that brotherly love, that bond, that friendship. And we've just found a way to expand that. So masonry will survive and it will evolve. It will adapt, but it's incredible. It really is incredible. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what happens in the next chapter of our, of our great fraternity. And I just know, I just know that, that masonry is going to continue to, to change lives. It's going to continue to influence brothers. And it's going to continue for hopefully, you know, 300 more years, a century, a millennia. I hope that it just continues. We can't lose sight of our rituals. We can't lose uh, focus on the meaning of our degrees. But 
by having this remote communication, this virtual communication, it really expands our horizons, expands our network, and uh, gives us that clear picture of what's going on in other parts of the Masonic world. What are other ideas and concepts that you may not have otherwise been privy to? It's just an incredible time to be a Mason, and I'm very, very proud to be a part of that. Brother Parker, it has been a really interesting talk with you. I enjoyed it, and I hope everyone out there enjoyed it as well. Until our next chat, take care, and thank you for being with us. Brother, I certainly do appreciate you having me. I appreciate this time. And uh, again, I look forward to speaking to you more in the future. And if I can ever do anything for you, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Thank you, brethren. That's about it for this episode. Until future episodes, stay safe and God bless. The Traveler's Podcast.